The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning fear. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, my Bruin brothers. I just got my head checked. <laughs> Good morning, John. Good morning, buddy. How are you? Oh, well, I'm yeah. doing just fine. I missed your sweet face. Actually, I saw you at GBF. <laughs> yeah, 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 we had enough sweet face time there. Shit, we were talking about maltiness there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Multi discussion of multi versus uh, sweet and versus things like that. I think it's a great discussion. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, willing to discuss it, uh, but, you know. I talked to Chris Graham, I talked yeah. to uh, Mike McDowell, and they all have their own definitions, too. Yeah, well, I, you know? Yeah. Um, but I liked, I, I listened to your show, the, 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 the Hell Show last time, uh-huh. a few times, and I definitely see your point that maltiness comes from grain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you can have a multi sweetness, right? Uh, you know, like the style we're talking about today, uh, right. the, the Scottish uh, ales, which is perfect for this style. But yeah. uh, you know, the the sweet and the malty are two separate things, right? Yeah, you know, they combine and maybe you know reinforce each other and have some sort of uh, you know enhancing effect. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the thing about it is, you could have a dry beer that's malty. So right. malty and sweet need to be two di- two separate things, but. To really central the idea, maltiness comes from your grain bill. Yes, that that's it. Right. That right. that simplified a lot of things there. Yeah. So. Uh. So Got today some. we are talking about uh, the the Scottish ales, but before we get into that, I got an email from uh, Mike McDowell. You know, great, great brewer. Great he guy. emailed us. Yeah. Or, he, or you, or, I should say. Yeah. He emailed. I just call him. Me. He has to email you, yes. but he calls me. He and I, he and I uh, <laughs> discuss things on email, being a couple of computer geeks. Mm. Uh, and he had listened to the, he says, uh, Jamal, I had a chance to listen to the Imperial IPA show this morning, and I had a few unimportant comments. I would replace the DME with two-row, two, if I had room on my mash tun. I apply the technique to any beer above a 1060 pre-boil, except for barley wines, where I double mash. So uh, one of the things in his recipe was some DME, and he's saying that um, if you've got a big enough mash tun to handle it, go ahead and replace it with the two-row. No, no need to use DME. But when he's doing a beer that has a, a pre-boil gravity, a 1060 or above, he's going to use DME because it, it just doesn't fit his mash tun very well. Right. Uh, speaking of DME, I never brew without it on hand. If I miss my pre-boil gravity, I adjust with water or DME. Most people just shrug their shoulders when they check the gravity after the boil, not realizing that they're either over-hopped or under-hopped their beer. If for some reason I don't have any DME, I go to ProMash and recalculate the IBUs. It makes a big difference in those beers that require the correct balance between hops and malt. Isn't that all beers? Yeah, this is another excellent point. Yeah, so he actually adjusts his beer as he boils. Well, before he starts his boil. Oh, and he'll take a pre-boil. His, his pre-boil, right. he'll uh, uh, take a, a gravity reading, maybe refractometer, maybe hydrometer, and he's going to see that, uh, especially in ProMash, and, and you can calculate this out as well without ProMash, you know what your evaporation rate is and you know where you need to start to, to get to your target gravity. Hmm. And you want to adjust that to make sure if if you had problems sparging or with uh, you know ex- getting the proper amount of extract from the grains, you're going to want to adjust it a little bit one way or another. Mm-hmm. And usually you're not that far off. Uh, and you know, adding a bit of DME, you're not going to you know taste the difference between a light DME and you know your base malt right. so much that uh, it, you know you'll you'll get a bigger variance in you know the quality of the beer the the overall balance of the beer mm-hmm. in being too low a gravity or too high a gravity for the hops you're adding so so McDonald really knows his pre-boil gravity that he's shooting for right because he or he's trying to hit an IBU and if he undershoots it it'll be too hoppy then right an IBU IBU ratio 
Is that correct? You're right, right. Because so he, he knows yeah, he's all these hops. He's bittering for a certain uh, final gravity, and and your final gravity is based on your or your your final gra- gravity at the end of boil is based on your gravity when you start your boil. Okay. So you want to make sure that at your start of your boil, you're you're at the right spot. So when you boil down, you're going to end at the right spot. Right. And that the hops that you're adding are the correct amount. Right. You know, just, uh, especially of bittering. You know, he buys 55 pound DME sacks from us. Wow. And more beer. Wow. Like every two months. Wow. Yeah. And 55 pound pails of PBW. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little excessive, but he, he brews a lot, so. Yeah. Well, and he, he's a great brewer. Oh, yeah. So, uh, he continues on here. Um, also, I had half the dry hop to the, when he's making his, uh, Imperial IP, which is excellent. It's a, it's a best of show winner. Uh, perennial best show winner. Also, I add half the dry hops to the secondary after one week primary fermentation and the other half after a week in the secondary. Once in secondary, I rouse the fermenter every three days. Three weeks after flame out, I knock out to cornies for two weeks of cold storage prior to filtering, carbonation, and consumption. Hmm. Vinny says, drink them early, so I do. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, the, uh, it's an interesting thing about hoppy beers. Mm-hmm. If if a beer depends on a lot of hop character, mm-hmm. you really want to uh, consume them early because that hop character is going to fade in, unless you like it. You know, it, it's not going to be as great a beer you know, six months from now as it was. You know, it's fresh. A month, yeah, it's, it's fresh. Exactly, it smells fresh. This smells great, right? And all yeah. that that aroma and flavor from the hops. They're going to start to settle out, and you're not going to get, uh, you know, that that great hop character in a beer like that. So it's interesting. In Imperial IPA, you gotta you gotta uh, you know drink that that sucker up. Yeah, fresh. <laughs> right. You, you, you want to drink it, drink it early, and uh, tonight. That's you know a good point about most hoppy beers. Well, Vinny, he had mentioned at one of his lectures that he won't bottle it just for that sole purpose, and we've talked about this on the show before too, but. It won't be fresh by the time the consumer gets it. It won't have the same hop flavors or aromas. So, right, yeah, why bother? You end up with uh, not such a great beer if it's if it's gonna sit for a while. What about a style like that? Using hop extract. Have you ever used that? No, I haven't. Me neither. So, but uh, you know, it, it could be interesting. Uh, I know uh, some of the uh, producers of Imperial IPAs are using hop extract just for that part of part of that. Hmm. I think you you can do it with with hops, uh, and for the home brewer, it's probably easier with hops than it is with extract because you, know, you have to very accurately dilute your extracts and you know work from there. Mm-hmm. But the style we're talking about today is your style, Scottish Scottish uh, ales. Now, not not strong Scotch ales, not wee heavies, not that big high alcohol one, but the low alcohol ones, the Scottish ales. They're they they don't have hardly any hop aroma or flavor to them, right? Right. Now these are multi beers. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I've had yours before, mm-hmm. and I was surprised how multi it was for only like a three percent beer, three and a half, I think it was, mm-hmm. or your seventy shilling you had brought in. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting about your beer is it had this nutty, I don't know, smoky peated flavor, but you didn't use any flavor of any peat and malt, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And but it's it had some residual sugar. You know, it wasn't really n- not much hop flavor to it, mm-hmm. and um, oh, it was just full bodied. It was filling. It was refreshing. It was a session beer, and you know, it was awesome for a three percent beer. I thought it was a lot bigger than I expected. Mm-hmm. So it was very good, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why do you brew these? I mean, what do you like about these? Oh, uh, I started brewing this these types of beers just because it's a good way to make yeast. So you you would re pitch. Or reuse your slurry from? Yeah. Yeah. That was a good way to start growing yeast. So you make a 60 shilling uh, Scottish and you got a nice slug of yeast off of that. I mean, you can, you can pitch that from a tube of White Labs or a smack pack of Y yeast and. No starter required. No starter required (laughs) and you're growing up a nice healthy pitch of yeast and then you can make all your other beers from it. Ah, there you go. So that's how I got into it and then I found out how much I really enjoyed those beers and, you know, some trips over, uh, to uh, Britain has, uh, you know, reinforced that. Uh, How do they taste over there? Uh, you know, much better than, than here, <laughs> the ones produced here yeah. a lot of times. The style itself is is all about uh, a clean, 
uh, malty but balanced uh, beer that you can drink in quantity. Mm-hmm. Low alcohol, you can drink, uh, you know, the 60 shilling is uh, around 3%. The 70 shilling is, you know, 4% or less, and the 80 shilling is 5% or less. Hmm. Now, the whole shilling thing, people go, well, you know, what's the shilling? Does 60 relate to, you know, you know, how do they want to relate that back to something? But it relates back to the tax man, right? The tax man. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. So that, you know, uh, you know, they had to pay 60 shillings of tax on a barrel of, you know, the certain beer. So it was called the 60 shilling beer or the 70 shilling beer or the 80 shilling beer. And because it, it was based on the starting, uh, gravity or the strength of the beer. Now, did the government tell them that? Did they said you had to brew a 3% beer or did they brew it because no, they, they're being taxed uh, on that? Um, uh, well, um, they, the starting gravity started to drop because they were being bru- uh, taxed on the amount of sugars, uh, okay. for one. But, you know, there's there's a uh, a nice thing about these types of beers, these session beers, like milds and bit ordinary bitters and uh, the Scottish uh, shillings, uh, uh, Scottish ales, is that you can go to your local pub in the evening, you know, middle of the week, and you can have a couple of pints. And you're not trashed, right. you know. You you can go home after that, and uh, you know, relax, and wake up in the morning nice and fresh, ready for work mm-hmm. instead of having a hangover like like we tend to do around here. <laughs> yeah, true that. So, uh, I think people have come to really enjoy that. And if you go over, there, you know, the beers made properly, even mm-hmm. with this lower alcohol, mm-hmm. are really very flavorful, mm-hmm. and. They have plenty of body. They have, and anything over two and a half, three percent alcohol is enough alcohol to give you all the benefits of alcohol to the flavor and the body and, and the character of beer. Hmm. It's, you know, when you get down to less than half a percent, like, you know, the low, the non-alcoholic beers, the same flavor. they taste like that because there's no alcohol, right? But it doesn't take six percent alcohol to make it happen. Now, 3% is plenty. That's 2.5% is plenty. It's an interesting point that alcohol contributes flavor to a beer. Oh, or absolutely. Flavor, body, uh, mouthfeel, uh, you know, warming, huh. a lot of different characteristics. Do you think it brings out other flavors? Just, uh, yeah, just I, I mean, everything, everything plays together, of okay. course. But the, uh, alcohol, uh, in itself has, has, has tastes and the more alcohol you're producing, you know, you're producing more esters and more, uh, you know, a, a variety of compounds that are going to uh, have an effect on the overall beer. How hard is it to brew a low gravity beer like like a shilling to do it really well and balanced? Um, it's pretty easy. Yeah, and the recipes that we're g- going to give out for this, a number of people have been uh, have taken this recipe and mm. done really well with it. Mm. Um, you know, there's. Probably oh, yeah. uh, you know half dozen people that are brewing these that are, These are published, you know, winning, aren't they? winning a, a bunch of awards. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really fairly simple. Well, I'm curious how you get that peated flavor. You know, what's your well, trick? What's the secret? That's the thing. I I don't think there's a peated flavor in there. Well, there is a nutty flavor. There's something going yeah, on. There's in your a, grain s- bill. a very slight roasty, you uh, roast nutty. Um, uh, uh, yes, you you can. Hmm. Uh, in mine, I'm using a pale chocolate, but. Uh, you can make it also with roasted barley, just a touch of roasted barley. And I think when you make it with a touch of roasted barley, um, you're going to get uh, a slight roastiness, which people will uh, think of as smoky. But do not, do not ever in your life add any sort of smoked malt yeah. to a Scottish ale. It's a giant mistake. Now, the the style guides they've tweaked it somewhat, but and they're saying um, about that they go well. Uh, uh, although unusual, so any smoke character is yeast or water derived and not from the use of peat smoke smoke malts. And again, although unusual, so any smoky flavor is unusual in these styles. Mm-hmm. Use of peat smoke malt to replicate the peaty character should be restrained. Overly smoked beer should be under the smoked beer character rather than here. There shouldn't be any. And the, it, it, people started doing this just from 
the the style guides that were written before somebody put that in there you know years ago and then everyone started kind of following along oh well these are smoky beers they had never had them in Scotland oh yeah you know they had never tried these beers they had no good commercial examples um, you know we have uh, whoops Bellhaven McEwen's um, you can't really get McClay over here I don't even think you can get it in Scotland anymore and uh, Caledonian and if you if you go at, over to Scotland and taste those beers, they're very clean. There's no smokiness to them. They're malty. They're nutty. They're biscuity. They're uh, uh, you know caramelly, and what color? Know, are extremely they? clean. They're going to be amber to uh, you know light amber all the way to uh, and almost uh, like a deep golden to um, uh, a dark uh, almost ruby color. Now, does the color go up as the higher in the shilling? Like an 80 shilling? Uh, they tend to a little bit, but not necessarily. Uh, they tend to vary more by, by brand than they do, um, by the, by the shilling. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you're just not gonna get any of that smoked malt there. Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing that the, uh, style guides talk about is the, uh, caramelization. They say any car- Caramelization comes from the kettle caramelization, not caramel malt, and sometimes confused with diacetyl. Although, uh, okay, so, which is a great point. I, I'm going to give you two recipes. One is uses specialty grains to do this, and mm-hmm. one is with the kettle caramelization. And if you want to win in competition, you're going to go with the specialty grains. Okay. And it, it makes a, a great rendition. If, and if you go over to Scotland... Uh, a lot of these places, they're brewing with specialty grains. They, they're not kettle caramelizing these beers. They're throwing in, you know, uh, 40 Love Crystal. Hmm. And, you know, that's the way they're doing it. And the, the flavor profile that you'll get with the specialty grains can seem a lot more complex yet clean than if you kettle caramelize. And when you kettle caramelize, just like the, the guidelines are saying, I've been saying this for a long time, yeah. people are going to say, oh, it's it's buttery, it's diacetyl. And it, it's not, it's kettle caramelization. How does diacetyl come from caramelization in the boil? It, it doesn't. It's, isn't that contamination or poor yeast? Right, right. Okay. It's, you know, it's a function of the okay. yeast and it's a function of uh, fermentation and function of uh, possible contamination, pediococcus, whatever. Hmm. But the uh, interesting thing is the judges... A lot of judges will pick that out as diacetyl. Weird. And it's, and it's really not. not it's, uh, you know, the kettle caramelization. It's more like a toffee-like or whatever. Hmm. All right. When we get back from break, we're going to get into the recipe for this, uh, style. As I said, I got two award-winning recipes here. Uh, one I, I prefer much more than the other. Good. This is the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about uh, Scottish uh, ales, the 60 shilling, 70 shilling, 80 shilling. You could you could crank 90, that up to 90, 100, 120. 2,000 shilling. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the 2,000 shilling beer. There you 2006 go. shilling beer. There you yeah, go. Absolutely. We'll do an anniversary brew together. Right. And there we could go. just bump it up by like one Play-Doh each year. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you place with these recipes at the Nationals like two years ago? Oh, yeah. I, I've won like four medals in the second round just with the Scottish Shales, I think. Well done. So a, a lot of, uh yeah, one year I think I got two of them in the second round. I got like the... 60 and the 70 shilling both won medals in yeah. one, one year. You just stood up there and accepted trophies and didn't even go back to your seat. <laughs> uh, alright, so the, the award winning recipes we got here. For, for all these recipes, alright, if you're, if you're gonna make a 60 shilling or a 70 shilling or an 80 shilling, really the specialty grains are the same. The same quantity, the same types. For all, exactly. for all numbers. For all those, right? 60 to 2000. Right. Now, I make a wee heavy off of this. Really? Just by bumping up the base malt. Huh. 
Now, longer boil. No, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. All, all the same. Okay. So for a 60 shilling, you're going to target like a 1035 gravity maximum. For 70 shilling, it's a maximum of 1040, and for 80 shilling, it's a maximum of 1054. Okay. The cool thing is, if you're targeting like you know 1039 because you want to, you're making a 70 shilling or 1038. And you go over and you end up with like 10.45. You say, oh, okay, well, it's a 80 shilling. You know, if you end up a little bit low and you're like a 10.34, you're like, okay, it's a 60 shilling. It's <laughs> just called whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, it's no, no, no big deal. So you're just going to adjust the, the pale malt, your base malt up and down. And for that, I use a, uh, a British pale malt. Usually, uh, I, I started out making this with uh, Golden Promise, mm. which is another cultivar like Maris Otter. And the Golden Promise has a slightly different flavor from the Maris Otter. And, uh, but it became difficult to get, so I switched over to Crisp Maris Otter. And, and that's a, that's a fine, uh, British Pale Malt and mm, does, yummy. does a, a great job. If you can get the Golden Promise, Try it. it's not much of a hassle. Give, give it a shot. It, it makes a nice beer. And that's going to be about 60% of your fermentables in the in the 60 shilling. Then I add uh, about 7.5% Munich malt, 7.5% honey malt, 15% crystal, 40, 7.5% crystal 120, and just a dash under 2% of uh, the pale chocolate. Now the the Munich, the honey, and the crystals are going to give you your sweetness and your and your malty characteristics interesting you're going to get more of that nutty biscuity from the 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 british pale malt so you definitely have some residual sugar from those right. or, exactly. or sweetness exactly you're going to uh, get you're going to get considerable sweetness from that that's a, that's exactly so that's your thing. interpretation of maltiness in that beer then because well, you're only three and a half percent well it's 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 adding sweetness and body uh, okay and one of the things about a low alcohol beer is if you don't have some way of adding sweetness and body in it's going to be thin and and extra dry and lacking in in character. Right. Now you can, it would still be malty if we fermented this down to you know one oh four, but it'd be really dry and and seem really thin. Uh, what you what you want to do in this beer is you want to end up with a final gravity of like ten twelve. So you're starting at ten thirty four, and you're going to end up at ten twelve. Wow. So you're you're going to attenuate like sixty percent, you know, two, or two thirds, you know, maybe. So you want to be at sixty six percent or less attenuation. And there's several ways to do this. One is high mash temperature, right? So I I mash this at one fifty eight uh, Fahrenheit or seventy degrees C. That's hot, man. Yeah, yeah. Single infusion, you know, seventy degrees C and one fifty eight Fahrenheit, and. Uh, that's going to give you a lot of long chain sugars, a lot of dextrins, okay. which add to that mouthfeel and body, mm-hmm. make it seem like a more substantial beer, <laughs> and it reduces the amount it's going to attenuate. The the crystal malts and uh, the Munich and all that are going to add uh, some uh, malt character and some sweetness and some and some caramel flavors, and those are going to add to the flavor and also add to the body. Nice and the residual sweetness. And then the other thing is you want to uh, ferment uh, cold. So I'm going to ferment this at you know 65 oh. degrees Fahrenheit wow. or 18 degrees C. Right on 65. Yeah, right right down in okay. there. Except because well, you don't want too much esters production? or Yeah, you want a real clean beer, and you don't want a lot of attenuation. So we'll get into that more sure. in a bit. Uh, as far as the hopping goes, you do not want any hop flavor or aroma. And what hot flavor and aroma you do get in there is going to be from, this will be a 90-minute boil beer, and at 60 minutes you're going to add just about a little over, I add a little over a half ounce of Kent Goldings. And uh, this is going to be about two and a half uh, homebrew bittering units. Uh, uh, I'm using uh, 0.53 ounce of uh, Kent Golding pellets, uh, 5% alpha. For 60 minutes. It gives you uh, just about 13 IBUs. And that's your only hop addition. You will get a slight bit of flavor from that. But uh, just for balancing the sweetness in the beer? Or? Yeah, the bittering is going to is going to balance your sweetness. Hmm. Right. And it's it's critical to get that balance. If it's too sweet, it's not right. It should be an easy drinking beer. Mm-hmm. And you can have a beer that's too sweet is hard to drink, and mm-hmm. a beer that's too bitter can be hard to drink. 
So you want it balanced, and it should be balanced towards the the slightly sweeter side. Okay. But uh, you know, near even. If you're at even, I think that's ideal. Uh, you know, slightly sweet is okay, but uh, you don't want to get to the bitter side either, because that would be totally wrong. But you know, no no hot flavor. What about yeast? Uh, yeast, I go with uh, either. And, and people are like, oh, or he must be using the Edinburgh yeast. Or, no, 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 I don't use any of those because they're way too funky. They're too funky. <laughs> well, and besides which, remember I said one of the reasons I did this to start with was to grow yeast for other beers. Right. And what I came across was um, using California ale yeast, the White Labs 001, or uh, the Y yeast 1056. Either one will make a really clean beer. And, uh, you know, there's a yeast that you can use for a lot of different beers oh, right smart. afterwards. So that's so. why the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you can, you can, you can use this, uh, yeast for a lot of things. Mm. Well, and, and I gotta say, this, this recipe came off of a, uh, 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 article that, uh, Ray Daniels wrote. Hmm. Some time ago I came across this and he was talking about, well, yeah, you can make your your Scottish ales with uh, the kettle caramelization, which is the traditional way, or you know, give it a try with you know all these specialty grains. And you know, he gave a, a mix of specialty grains, and that worked out worked out well, and uh, it makes a really nice beer. Raised, you know, uh, just a great great brewer, and and it's really stuff. knows his stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it based on uh, a lot of competitions and a lot of feedback and mm-hmm. came up with this this recipe and this formula. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, it it just wins all over the place. And other people have brewed it, and, you know, they're doing great with it too. So I think... Uh, what did Ray recommend for yeast? I think he was... Uh, he had, like, uh, California ale yeast, uh, the Irish ale yeast. Yeah, yeah cause that... And I'm not sure well. if he had the uh, Edinburgh or not. And you don't want it to attenuate well. And California right. ale yeast does tend to attenuate better than so how you know, do a lot you of yeast. Stop it then. Yeah, that's the, the trick. So what I do is I will pitch if if I'm ever pitching low, it tends to be you know I'll pitch on the lower side of this. I won't under pitch, mm. but I'll pitch on the lower side. So in a 1060. Uh, uh, or a 60 shilling, uh, beer, which is, your starting gravity is like 1034. You know, that's like starter wort, right? Right. And you got like five gallons of it. You can go ahead and toss in a tube of White Labs or a pack of, uh, uh, Y yeast. And you don't have to make a starter. Awesome. That's like a five gallon starter for you. And, uh, again, I keep this low temp. I do add oxygen. Right, because you don't want to produce esters. Right, you don't want too much growth, because again, it'll produce esters. Right, but uh, you know, I, f- I find a pack or a tube around. It's around 100 to 120 billion cells. It's just about right for this. Hmm. And uh, again, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Some people say they can get 1056 or the uh, 001 yeast to ferment colder than that. I really have troubles when I try and get it below 65 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 degrees C. Interesting. Yeah, it tends to, uh, you know, just flocculate out on it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I I don't know what it is, but, but I seem to have that issue. But at 65 or 18 degrees C, it tends to really make a very clean beer and does not attenuate as much, especially with uh, this high amount of uh, the crystal malts Mm -hmm. and 158 degrees uh, uh, mash temp. Mm -hmm. You should end up with final gravity on a a 1034 beer starting around 1012. Hmm. Now, do you ever let your fermentation go or do you stop it? I don't don't stop it. You just let it? Right, because if you right. stop it, you're yeah. going to end up with uh, diacetyl in the beer. You're right. going to end up with acetaldehyde. Right. Acetaldehyde is part of the process of making alcohol. Right. And it's a, it's an intermediary step. And if you stop the yeast, you're going to end up with acetaldehyde in your beer. Okay. It's that green apple flavor. Yeah. So it's best to to let the yeast, you know, finish out, let them clean up, and let them pick up all this this various stuff. And how long do you leave your beer in the primary for for this type of style? Well, it's something like this, it's done in a few days, but usually I'll leave it about a week. Um, you know, it's usually done in a couple of days, but all a week or you know, I'll even let it go ten days. And nothing's going to happen. No. It's sixty five degrees. No rush. There's not going to be any yeast uh, coughing up and dying, especially from a fresh uh, tube or smack pack. So that's that's one way to do it. And uh the traditional way to do it is to go with 
just a pale two row. You're gonna, you know, like 97% pale two row, and it'll be uh, the uh, English uh, Marisotter or uh, you know, Golden Promise or uh, you know any of those uh, English pale malts that you can get. And you could do this with malt extract too, uh, the Marisotter uh, English Mar- Marisotter malt extract that some of the places sell, and uh, about three percent roasted barley. And this is the tra- supposedly the traditional way of making a, a Scottish uh, shilling ale. You uh, uh, run your first, you know, gallon or so into the into the kettle, and then boil that down, uh, you know, to half a gallon or so. Wow. Okay. And you'll get some kettle caramelization going on, and that's going to add those caramel flavors, and it's going to uh, make those sugars uh, unfermentable. It's going to add more body, things like that. The thing is, if you enter in competition, be prepared for people to tell you it's buttery. And it's got a lot of butter in it, and it's it's really it's the difference, you know. It's it's more of a where where's the buttery coming from in the boil? I don't. I'm but there wondering. isn't. There isn't any. So why are the judges saying that? It, it it's just a different flavor. It's a different taste. Is and is there, it the caramelized sugar is given? They yeah. think it's a uh-huh. weird. And they say that's buttery. Yeah, a lot of them will say it's buttery. Hmm. Now there's a lot of judges who won't, but yeah, I think this fools a lot of judges. They'll, they'll, you know, uh, half of them will say, oh, yeah, I, I, I taste a lot of diacetyl in there. And it's like, uh, you know, it's not. Now, can, do you Especially taste diacetyl with, with that? No, no, but okay. I know what, I know what, you know, I've, I've sat with enough people where right. they're saying, oh, yeah, it's, it's really buttery. And it's like, well, more like a toffee. And I guess toffee, you know, includes a lot of butter, right. but it's, it's that, the way that the caramelization happens and, uh, and, uh, you know, with with those cold ferments, with a healthy uh, California ale yeast or, uh, you know, the 1056, you're not going to get hardly any diacetyl whatsoever. Hmm. You know, you, nice, uh, cool ferment. And that's just one of the things that people say. Hmm. So, you know, it's some, something to kind of kind of keep in mind. Could and, probably good to experiment with it, too. I mean, why not try both? You know, see what happens. Oh yeah, yeah. Do them know. side by side and see what you think. If you if you have a lot of commercial examples over in Scotland now, I think you're going to find that you know they're not really that way. They're more like this. They taste more like the specialty grain way of doing it. Okay. And I know that uh, somebody uh, wrote in on the chat room. If you're if you're listening live, you can uh, go to the uh, web page and has a chat now button. You click on that and you can ask questions and you can uh, discuss the the ongoing show with uh, other other brewers who are listening at the same time or call 888-401-BEER yes or you can call toll free and uh somebody brought up the point that there's a uh, clone brews books out there and they got like five recipes for various uh, scottish shales and they've all got you know like peat smoke malt in them yeah mm. and it, it, it's you know you can in the U.S., the homebrew community has really embraced <laughs> throwing peat smoke malt into Scottish ales, all based on, you know, a mistake earlier on. And if you want to do them, that's fine, but they're not Scottish ales. Okay. They're not. If they're you smoke really beers. Think, yeah, they're smoke beers. Exactly. <laughs> that's what they are. And, uh, you know, I'm sure those recipes are okay. Um, I haven't found much use for them. I, I own those books. I, I started out with those books, and what I realized was uh, I could make much better beers by uh, doing different recipe sources. And really, uh, you know, Ray Daniels' great book, uh, Designing Great Beers, uh, you know, is a fine way to to, to get started and uh, makes a much better uh, beers overall. Nice. All right. We'll after process the, after this. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. We'll get more into it and uh, maybe answer some questions after the Perfect. break. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. <laughs> you like when I sing to you, don't you, Jameel? Uh, you know, your face, man, just to see you smile. It's, yeah, it's just it's how you pout your lips and stuff just kind of really turns my stomach in the morning. I'm yeah, sorry, you, man. You like it. You know, maybe after a few beers, it's all right. But, oh, I see you know, how it is. when I'm sober... 
That's not quite my cup of tea. How about my cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah, have some more coffee, John. I will. All right, so people have had some questions about um, really not, I guess, fermenting this, but afterwards, uh, you know, if you're going to reuse that yeast, how do you reuse it? There's a lot of good information out there on the web about uh, repitching yeast. And generally, you have to make critically sure that your sanitation is, is flawless and that your handling of the yeast is flawless and all that. Because if you're going to use unhealthy or uh, contaminated yeast that has a, you know, has a high bacterial population or something like that, and you're just going to ruin a bunch of beers. Yeah, don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> but generally what I do is I'll I'll rack the beer off when I'm done. I'll swirl it around with a little bit of the beer that's left in the carboy. And I'll run those into sterile Nalgene containers. And I'll put them in the fridge until I'm ready to brew, you know, within a week. Okay. And then I'll, I'll calculate out exactly how much yeast I need to uh, properly pitch the next beer based on its gravity, volume. So you're not growing it up then. You're just pitching a r- the right amount of slurry. Exactly. Okay. And uh, I'll, I use a pitching rate calculator that's mm-hmm. on uh, the Mr. Multi site. Which is updated. www.mrmulti.com. Right. I, I haven't posted the new one yet. Ooh. But the new one is, is really sweet. Such a tease. So, yeah, I've, I've been so darn busy I haven't had a chance to, to really post it yet. But it's it's done. Anyways, and you, you want to put the proper amount of yeast in there. And and I've got some information on there as well as as, as far as... How to, how to do be this. sterile. Yeah, flame yeah. the opening of the carboy. Yes, flame know. the opening of the carboy. Good, no, good point. Now, right. gene ball or whatever. Work in, a, work in a clean, draft-free area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No better. Yeah, make sure what you're doing, because otherwise you just screw up more and more beers. You're better off uh, making starters or you know uh, sticking to low gravity beers. How many times have you used a slurry over and over from a previous batch? Usually, I'll stop by about five. You know, four to five, I think, is is where I stop. I don't want to take any because no matter how perfect you are, there's always some little level of contamination that you're carrying forward. Mm-hmm. You need to be careful. Uh, but generally, you know, uh, four or five batch pitch three off off a of yeast is okay. really just fantastic. Nice. And you know, pitch pitch one is okay. Pitch two is is better. Pitch three is just ideal. There's something about repitching yeast. I don't know. The yeast health really gets well, in there if you're treating it right. Well, all the bad yeast have died, right? They're all uh, yeah, kind of gone yeah. and disappeared. Right, right. Yeah, you do get some yeast death. And then uh, you know, batch uh, you know four is 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 good. Not quite as good as three a lot of times. And then five is is like batch four. And then after that, it's you know. It's good, but it's not quite what I like. I think, you know, three is where it really clicks. Okay. And then I just don't like to risk going much much further than uh, five or so. Hmm. It's just not worth it. And usually by that time I'm up to some super high alcohol dark beer that, you know, with a <laughs> Did you do Imperial IVs. Stout or something? Or? Yeah, usually I get to Imperial Stout. Nice. And then I, I st- or barley wine or something. Mm. And then I'm not going to reuse the yeast after that anyway. Yeah. Stress and you end up with so much yeast, you end up splitting it into containers. Yeah, and you're only going to use half of that yeast. Yeah, and then so you can make two more batches off the sixty shilling. I, I'll split that into two other batches. I'll make a you know uh, whatever and a whatever, and then from that I end up with you know four times the yeast. And you know you only need so much yeast. Good gift for your friends, right? Exactly. You know, I got some yeast for you. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I had a question. You you use California ale yeast. Why not use an English strain since it's an English beer? That's that's an excellent question because you you'd think that you know you're making a beer from Belgium, you use a you know a Belgian yeast. If you're making a beer from Britain, you you use an English yeast. Well, the thing is, those those English yeasts uh, will produce a lot of fruitiness, right? They're going to produce a lot of esters, and right. a lot of characters, and diacetyl and things like that that are not appropriate for this style. And the uh, Edinburgh, the Scottish ale yeast uh, that uh, the companies have, is good and and will do a good job. And I guess that could be you know technically or the Irish ale yeast, but really uh, Cal ale yeast is a much better choice. Is that just because it's cleaner? Exactly, and far it's a cleaner. low gravity beer, so there's hardly any leftover flavors. Or right, right. Okay. There's not a lot to mask any any mistakes there. Hmm. So Cal ale yeast or the Y yeast 1056 is a really uh, great way to go. You're gonna you're gonna end up with a clean beer, and uh, 
it's going to uh, you know ferment the right amount if you if you have the residual dextrins and the and the crystal malts and things like that. So that's 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 why uh, you, you go with the California ale yeast instead of the the uh, English ale yeast. And then you know you you got uh, really versatile yeast to use uh, after that. Nice. Now someone also was asking about starters and you know is making a starter bad for this? Yeah, it it, it can be because you can uh, you can end up over pitching hmm. in a beer like this. So you're starting at 1034 yeah. original gravity with five gallons. You don't even need, uh, you need, um, oh, I'd have to calculate it out, but yeah, 120 billion cells is generally, that's probably in the range right there. And that's in a vial right now. That's already in the yeah. vial, right. If you do too much, now, I could see, you know, putting it, uh, putting a vial in, uh, you know, half liter of wort or something or a liter of wort and letting it kind of wake up before you pitch it in there. Hmm. Uh, you know, so you're. Like the morning of or something? Yeah, you're midway through your brew day or your morning of and you toss it in there and you're not going to get a lot of solid growth, but. Get it happy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's getting woken up and, and that would be a good thing to do. Okay. Certainly. Uh, but I wouldn't go, you know, stir plate and, you know, trying to grow it up. And if you pitch, uh, you know, 240 billion cells, which you're going to get off a, off a, you know, a one liter starter from, uh, from one vial, from a vial. Yeah. Then. A little overkill. Yeah. It's, it's way too much. Yeah. And you're going to end up, uh, you know, the, the flavor profile isn't going to be quite right. You okay. do need some cell growth. There is some underlying esters that need to be there in order for it to taste like a beer. And if you, you pitch too much yeast, you also get more cell death and things like that. Mm. And that contributes to flavor, too. We have a phone caller. Hey, hey. Bush. Hey, what's going on, guys? You just answered my question, though. <laughs> Good talking. <laughs> about the, Thanks for calling. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing a starter or not. About doing a starter? Yeah. So that that's that's the deal is... You can go ahead and wake up the yeast, or or if you start with, uh, say, uh, Y yeast has a propagator pack, which is uh, a smaller uh, smack pack. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a uh, like their original yeah, the product original that five. they had. They call it the propagator now. Mm-hmm. That you'd have to make a starter with that. Gotcha. So it just depends. You want to end up with the right amount of yeast uh, of of healthy yeast at that point. Right. And it just so happens it's about what you you'd have in a the XL activator pack or a tube of white labs. I think I use the uh, pitching sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think I used the pitching rate calculator and ended up doing a fourteen hundred mil starter. Uh-huh. That sound about right? Uh could be. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, the new the new calculator is based off of uh a lot of research I've done over the past six months and a lot of experimentation and talking with uh, the microbiologists at uh, Y-East and uh, some of the lab work that they've done. And Bring so I've got some different numbers in there and some other factors, and there's like little draggable sliders where you can adjust certain things. If you want to get use more starter wort and fewer packs, you can drag the slider one way or another. And You're just you know. teasing us now. Yeah, no, it's exactly. not fair, is it? Come on. And for ninety nine ninety five. No, it'll be free. Yeah, yeah Jamil Zanishev charging something for homebrew information. That's going to happen. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Hey, right. So another question, then. Uh, we were talking about this in the chat room. I've been doing nothing but brewing your 60 shillings since uh, I made some changes to my system, trying uh-huh. to dial it in. Uh-huh. And um, one thing I've noticed on each batch, invariably, uh, at kegging, it tastes watery and thin. Mm-hmm. And... After seven to ten days uh, on CO two, it just becomes awesome. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience as well? Right. You're. You know, it, it depends a lot on a lot of factors, and one is you know the proper carbonation. And I'm glad you brought that up because if you overcarbonate it, you're going to end up with it's going to become kind of thin again and acidic and harsh. If right. you don't carbonate it enough, it'll end up thin water. Just enough carbonation actually fills out the body. And it's around that cast conditioned, you know, range of, you know, one to one and a half volumes that really it, it seems just right. And if you, if you got a kegging system, it's great because you can, uh, you know, adjust it up or down and, and see right. where it, where it's good. But I almost, I almost poured one of those kegs out thinking this is water. I, I screwed this up. Something's wrong. 
but just being lazy saved me. It left it right. in CO2, and it became great. Well, and I, I had a similar experience. The first 60 shilling I, I ever brewed, I uh, had it in the keg, and, you know, it, there was no head on it, and it seemed thin, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to pour this out. And for some reason, and usually I just pour them out, for some reason I, I forgot about it, and it was stuck in the back of the fridge. And I came back to it about six, eight months later. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? What's in this keg? I, you know, I was like, eh, you know, I poured some out, and it was uh, fantastic. Oh, and awesome. it and it built this nice big head on it. It was you know, brilliantly clear. It tasted great and had a lot of body to it. And I was like, "Wow!" I entered it and got like first place right off. Wow! It, nice. it had been under pressure that whole time. Yeah. I mean, on CO two. Yeah. Oh, right just on. Cake condition. Yeah, and it, it just sat there and uh, did really, really great. And awesome. I think uh, a lot of these beers, when there's a lot of particulate matter floating around in the in the beer. And you pour it, it's gonna, the, the bubbles are gonna come out really quick, cause it's a fairly thin beer, and any nucleation sites are gonna make those bubbles grow really rapid and really fast, and you're just gonna end up with this, you know, flat beer that has this head that forms and dies in an instant. Right. Once you let all that little particulate matter, the very fine, dusty bits of grain and things like that settle to the bottom, uh, the beer will form tiny little bubbles, and it'll it'll make a nice head, and it'll and the CO2 will last longer, and it's a it'll be a much better beer. I'm noticing that too. That now this current batch, the the head on it is becoming creamy, almost Guinness-like. Uh huh. Which is just bizarre. I've never seen one of my elves do that before. Right, and and in such a small beer, you'd think, oh well, that's that's impossible. Right. What 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 grain contributes to that? Do you think in your in your malt bill? Well, I think it's just the malt and the sugars and the residual sugars in the long chain dextrin from the high mash temperature. Uh, And then, again, once you let all that dusty stuff drop out, you're going to have a great head on it. All right. So, uh, thanks for calling in. We need to kind of wrap up what we're, uh, gone through here. So if I want to make an award winning shilling, what do I do? All right. So you're going to, Either target a 60 shilling, 70 shilling, 80 shilling, so below 1035, below 1040, below 1054. You'll go with uh, pale malt as your base and use uh, like crisp marisata or a golden promise or something like that. Uh, an English pale malt. You can use extract if you want or, uh, you know, the, the pale malt grains. Then you're going to need in a six-gallon batch, you're going to need uh, like a half pound of Munich malt, a half pound of honey malt, a pound of crystal 40, a half pound of crystal 20, one, 120, and uh, just a couple ounces of a pale chocolate malt. And that's going to give you some of your color. It's going to give you some of the, the thing I love about that pale chocolate is it's, it gives you a toasty flavor. Nice. And that's, I think, part of that toasty, Peaty uh, flavor. smoky thing you were talking about. Okay. And... Uh, so target uh, 1034 on the gravity. You're going to target about 13 IBUs using Kent Goldings at 60 minutes. And this, that's like two and a half homebrew uh, bittering units. You'll ferment this cool, or you mash at uh, 158 Fahrenheit, 70, 70 degrees uh, C. And you're going to ferment this cool using California Ale Yeast, uh, White Labs uh, WLP001. Or Yeast 1056. It's one of the few beers that if you have a nice fresh pack or tube, you don't have to make a starter. You can just toss it in and uh, ferment that out. Cool 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 18 degrees C. And when you carbonate this thing, uh, you're going to want to carbonate it to about one volume or one and a half volumes. Fairly low carbonation. And uh, like uh, Charlie was saying on the phone, you know, let that thing sit. Mm-hmm. Let it sit for a long time. Let the dusty junk drop out of it, and it'll be a creamier beer, and uh, you'll, it'll form a nice head, and uh, you should have a, a really beautiful uh, award-winning beer. And you can drink it all day. Pretty much. Uh, 3% beer. You can drink uh, a couple pints of it for breakfast mm-hmm. and a couple pints of it for lunch and a couple pints of it for dinner. And have another pint before you go to bed. Shoot. Good for the kids, too. Absolutely, my kids uh, have it have it in their lunch. Daddy's uh, shilling. I put it in a sippy bottle for them, and they <laughs> a little high C. Yes, drink it from a straw. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't do that with my kids. Yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. I the uh, pale ale for them. There, there you go. Right. Good dad. Yeah, exactly. 
questions, Jay, or what have you got? All there? right, let's see. Dryce, US 56, half pack or full? Um, you'd have to use it all. I mean, you're not going to store it after you open it, right? Yeah, full pack, I think, is the correct amount. I'd have to check. A full pack is uh, 120 billion cells? No, no, it's 240, half pack. Half pack. You want to use half pack of uh, US 56. I would not use US 56, though. It has a slight uh, peachy kind of sulfury ester thing to it mm-hmm. that uh, I don't think is appropriate for this beer. It'll, it'll make it a fine beer. If you want a real award-winning beer, you're going to have to go to the liquid yeasts for this. But uh, the, it'll make a make a fine beer. But I would use a half pack. Okay, I'm certain of that uh, number now because a full pack is around 240 billion cells. There you go. And you only need about half of that. Good show. Great. Yeah, we are going to uh, be back in two weeks with... Uh, what is it? Spice beers. Spice beers. Yeah, well, just in time for uh, the holidays, we're gonna get into spice beers, pumpkin beers, all sorts of that good stuff. Lots of questions and lots of research we've been doing on this, so nice. it'll be a good show. And coming up next is last night's uh, Sunday show is gonna replay next, and uh, Tuesday is the Graham Sanders show a replay of the Graham Sanders show. There you go. Cool. Take care. All right, Bruce Strong. Jameel Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jameel to Jameel at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jameel Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Brewing Network.